0: Hi, I'm Jen, and this is Talking in Bed, the podcast where I discuss niche interests, burning questions, movies, TV shows, foreign languages, and other sundry topics. If you like unfocused, opinion-based shows, then stick around. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, welcome back to well, Talking in Bed. I <laughs> I feel like I I don't know how to like do this because I'm not doing it as often. Um, I'm really falling into a pattern. I'm finding I'm putting out an episode once a month, which is probably perfect for me. That's probably just the right amount that I need um, to express an idea. And it gives me the time to sort of let an idea simmer, which I really feel that they need to do. Um, but it does mean that when I get onto the mic, I have to really like work myself up to these sort of perfect conditions where I'm going to get on the mic, you know, and you may hear the fan in the background. I really hope that it's not creating any kind of uh you know too much noise, but i'm I'm gonna boil if I don't so if I don't run it, so I want to talk today about sort of a range of topics. They all are interconnected and I'm going to do my best to make those connections make sense. (laughs) Um, I want to start by talking about my connection to the word iPad baby, babies. Um, So nine years ago, nine and a half years ago when I moved to Germany I was I moved to Berlin I was I moved in with my ex-boyfriend boyfriend at the time who is German we spoke English at home um and you know when you move to a new city within your country it can be difficult to meet people and it's even more difficult when you move to a country where the sort of native language is not your mother tongue. And, um, that being said, Berlin is a very English friendly city. Uh, there are like quarters of the city where you almost don't need to speak German. Um, and I, always put pressure on myself to uh learn how to speak German when I went there I really I didn't know much I knew a couple of words it was it was a struggle for (laughs) a while because I mean all all languages are are tricky to learn um and to gain a really good sense of fluency uh and you have to use it a lot in order to gain any sense of confidence. And you have to accept that you are going to make a lot of mistakes, and that you're gonna sound like three year olds are going to speak the language better than you can. You know, that and it's a very uh, it's a very humbling experience to learn another language. And um, so I I didn't really speak. German. I hadn't really gotten used to the idea that uh, there were a lot of English speakers in Berlin. I didn't really understand that when I moved there, I don't think. Um, And so that took me time. I did eventually find friends who, you know, were English speaking and uh, formed very good bonds with those people. But in the early, let's say the first two years of living there, I was a freelancer and I did not know how to do that. I I wouldn't have really known how to do that in my own hometown. It would have been a struggle for me. Not to mention that I have ADD. (laughs) And and then I'm living in a city where I don't know anybody. I don't know the customs. I don't, you know, speak the language, really. It was an uphill battle for the first two years. And it- <laughs> I-, I am glad that I'm not fighting that battle anymore, I must say. Uh, so... I hate to say it, but I did not get a lot done in the first year. I truly did not get a lot done. I sort of like tried in my own way to get things done. I believe I did land some jobs, but I did not. I think I did land some jobs in the first year, but that may have been even in the second year. So it was like tough times. (laughs) And. What I did a lot of was I spent a lot of time online. I used to watch TV shows from, you know, America on my computer. Like, I'm going to sound like very uh, uninformed. What What is it like? Not pirating, but like just... You know, a show would air on a Tuesday and then on a Wednesday it would get uploaded to a website. I think it was called Project Free TV or something. I don't think it exists anymore. One, two, three movies. Kind of these... Is that like torrenting or pirating? I I don't know. Anyway, I I know it's illegal activity. (laughs) And... um. I I used to watch shows in English online. And in addition to that, probably um, like nine years ago, Reddit was not uh, quite as well known as it is. It was still kind of this like you had to be sort of like an Internet person to know about Reddit. And... I must have heard about it enough from TV shows and stuff. I I was probably still going on BuzzFeed a lot at the time. That was still, like, very... You know, BuzzFeed was a good website nine or ten years ago. I I would even say that was peak BuzzFeed, actually. And um, that feels like a really, uh, (laughs) like, millennial way to describe BuzzFeed. Just I mean, obviously, talking about BuzzFeed is very millennial but then to describe it as peak BuzzFeed you know <laughs> um and so I spent a lot of time online because I th- that was where I could connect to my own language my world like I understood that world it was my way to stay in touch with America even when I was very far away And, of course, I did not feel connected to anything outside of my apartment at the time. It's not that I didn't like it. I liked it. But it was not, uh, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I I didn't know how to get into that world. And um, I sort of think of that as like, um, pinpointing when my (laughs) iPad baby phase of my life started. Uh, now that I, I've never had an iPad, but I think you don't have to have an iPad to be an iPad baby. You know, it's more just this reliance on constantly having something playing on your smartphone, right? That's sort of, or on an iPad. And of course the idea is like, iPad babies actually describe a younger generation, right, of kids who are maybe like 16 or 18 now who, when they were kids, their moms would give them iPads just to sort of quiet them down. Um, You know, it's a really pejorative, it's very judgmental of mothers, (laughs) as people uh, typically like to do, judge moms. And, um, I I tend to think of that as when my real like reliance on having background noise and sort of being really engaged with the world of the internet began. Um, and and that once I did get an a smartphone, I, I put that off as long as I could. When smartphones were invented, I knew like one day I'm gonna have to get a smartphone. I know the day will come, but I'm going to put it off as long as I can, just to sort of, just to not jump on the bandwagon right away, essentially. And so eventually that day came uh, when the German and I broke up, uh, like three, three and a half years into the relationship. And I had sort of relied on him to have a smartphone for all the things that smartphones are useful for you know keeping in touch with people long distances and directions and all that kind of stuff pictures I I literally had a <laughs> like essentially a Nokia like a not you know like a 2002 style Nokia in like in like 2014 <laughs> it sounds ridiculous now but um so I did get a smartphone eventually and that certainly worsened my iPad babiness. And um I think a lot of people feel that way as sort of um the decade since I since iPhones were invented or not invented. You know, like since they became they were presented to the public, open to the public. Um, I think that people, you know, there's a growing sentiment right now that, uh, we're far too dependent on our phones. We're far too sort of engaged with social media. It's unhealthy. Um, it's robbing us of our attention spans. People feel like they don't have hobbies because any downtime that you have or any time that you might feel bored for like a half a second you have you engage with social media and so i to me ipad babiness is not so much um relevant in those like times where you're actively looking at social media to me ipad babiness is like um you go to the bathroom and it's not just that you look on your phone while you're going to the bathroom, but you have like something playing as well. Now I have a YouTube premium account, so I can play YouTube videos and shut my screen off and they'll keep playing, which is like really a big perk of YouTube premium. And... um It's kind of this like constant reliance on sound and like keeping your brain stimulated. And, you know, a a single moment of like going to the kitchen to get a cup of water has to be accompanied by sound or looking at your phone or, you know, something like that. It's like the phone cannot be physically separated from you. Uh, I guess for a lot of people, it's like Twitter is... I I truly do not understand why anybody uses Twitter. I do not. It is, like, literally... <laughs> like, the epitome of hell to me is Twitter, really. If hell is other people, that is Twitter. You know, whoever said hell is other people. Um... So I tend to trace my iPad babyness back to this time period when I was in a new city in a new country. And I just I wanted to hear familiar language. Right. And I wanted to engage with something familiar in a place where I felt nothing was familiar. I don't think that's actually true, though, (laughs) because I can remember when I went to college uh, in 2004 I brought DVDs with me of, like, Will and Grace. I remember watching a lot of Will and Grace in college. I mean, I watched it in high school, too. Uh, But I had various DVDs with me, and I would play them a lot. And I would often have them running in the background. And, like, if I was having lunch in my dorm room, I would have Will and Grace playing, Now, it's not like if I went to the bathroom, I would bring my laptop with me and have the DVD playing, but I certainly had a fair amount of background noise going on. Obviously, it wasn't the same because technologically, it just wouldn't have been practical to have my laptop with me. It just is too big, right? As opposed to a smartphone, right that's sort of the the big selling point of the smartphone was like this is like your computer but it fits in your pocket right and um you could even say that the need for constant noise like came from when i was a kid because my dad <laughs> likes to have the tv on he is definitely like if he understood technology (laughs) he would be an ipad baby he would have his phone constantly playing something to have that sort of audio oral not oral oral (laughs) kind of (laughs) noise going on right um and So, and he picked that up from his home when he was a kid. I know this to be the case, just from family stories, right? So that's going back to the 50s, the 60s, that TV was in, at least in his home, was like on all the time. And... In our house, the TV was on a lot. I watched a lot of TV as a kid. <clears throat> I watched a lot of good TV as a kid. I watched a lot of, you know, bad TV. But, you know, I watched a lot of TV. I found comfort in watching shows that I liked. And... um I... So you could trace it back to then. You could trace it back to my grandparents, you know. Now, of course, it's like TV was invented in the... I'll be generous, like the late 40s, where it was starting to be in people's homes, not like the concept of, you know, film on screen. But like, obviously, I know, that's older. But so before that... Um, you would have a radio, right? And I would bet my life on it that there were people in the 40s and the 30s and I think radio is pretty old. I don't know when it was that like everybody had a radio in their home. I guess you would have had to have electricity. So let's say like the 20s. I guarantee you that there were people who constantly had the radio playing, who slept, who probably twisted the dial on their radio to static and then put the volume really low and fell asleep to that. Like, I listen to white noise sometimes when I'm going to sleep. I put it on really low on YouTube. I shut my phone off because I can. You're telling me... That You don't think that a hundred years ago, literally a hundred years ago, there weren't people who were doing that? Let's say 90 years ago. I think there were. And before that, there was like a Victrola, right? I mean, you had to (laughs) crank that, I think, so it wasn't going to be very practical to have it kind of going all the time, but i'm certain that there were people who would play that thing as much as they could and probably even teenagers who would play it to like the consternation of their parents who would be like you're playing that damn victrola too much you know <laughs> maybe if you run on that damn victrola all the time you know i don't have any <laughs> Research to support this. This is just a belief, okay? I I don't have any scientific research, okay? What I do have, however, is that I um, recently have read some classic works of literature. I finished Wuthering Heights, and I'm just about to finish Jane Eyre. Both by the Bronte sisters. And one of the things that has really struck me, particularly in Wuthering Heights, because um, it essentially takes place within two houses and it's out on like the English moors, uh, very secluded. You have a very small cast of characters. It's a wonder. I was shocked. That I loved this book, loved it. I was completely drawn into like the drama of the relationships. Uh the care the depth and development of the characters was so uh just breathtaking to me. Uh only book written by Emily Bronte. She wrote it and died, essentially. (laughs) I think there was maybe like a year difference between its publication and her death. Uh, I want to say it was 1847. I may be a little bit wrong, but somewhere around that time period. And there's a scene in the beginning of the book uh, where the young Mrs. Heathcliff is, she's a young woman. Let's say she's, 19 okay I'm not actually sure but somewhere around there let's go for a range between 17 and 21 to be really generous she is a very sullen and unhappy young woman very she does not talk a lot she's very unhappy about her living situation and the people she lives with she is disgruntled she is not polite she's and, and that's how everybody in the house is. Everybody hates each other with like a, a deep passion, you know, a deep hatred. And um, we don't know why that is at that point. But it describes a scene where everybody in the house starts to get up at like 5 a.m. <laughs> I will never know how people... I understand how the wealthy people woke up because it was like the people who worked the house would wake them up. How did those people wake up? I'll never understand it. Rooster, I guess, maybe. How did they get the fire going before the sun came up? I don't know. So it's 5 a.m. Everybody is sort of getting up, getting the house, you know, open for the day. And she sits down in the Whatever, living room, they don't call it that, but the living room essentially. And she starts reading a book at five AM, which I thought, like, God, it's not like she's reading <laughs> you know that this is like 1846, let's oh, actually, actually this the book is set uh at the beginning of the nineteenth century. It sort of goes from the late uh late seventeen hundreds to early eighteen hundreds. So it's even further back. So let's say it's like 1801 or something. Um, You know those books were not like light reading. You know, this is not like, oh yeah, you're tired and you just want to kind of like look at something until your brain wakes up. This is like, you know, uh, akin to reading like the Bible, right, at 5 a.m. when you are not awake. She picks up a book, she starts reading um, and Heathcliff, uh, tells her to stop reading and to help out. She stops reading, but she refuses to help. And she just sits in the chair and she stares. And I thought to myself, this is the description of a woman who doesn't have a smartphone. <laughs> okay, This is the description of a teenager who the only thing is missing is her scrolling Instagram or TikTok at five in the morning when the rest of the family is trying to get up and do stuff and she won't help and she's extremely unhappy with everybody who's around her. So when she gets yelled at to put her smartphone down and help, she puts the phone down and sits there looking angrily. And I thought this was so interesting. First of all, um, thinking about that kind of stuff, kind of trying to modernize when I'm reading old stuff like that, which, I mean, doesn't happen often. This is sort of a new uh, development for me to read these older works. But uh, something that I find is really helpful is that I try to interpret what they're describing through a modern lens. How would this play out? today right how the things that they're saying the things that they're feeling can I see that reflected in modern day and a lot of times to a shocking amount of times I can easily interpret things into modern day of course there are some differences there are some moments where things would have to be tweaked the way that people of course the way that people speak right that's the first thing that has to go the clothing you know That would change. But I'm saying about sort of uh, the interrelationships with people, between people, and their behavior. And I often am able to easily translate that into modern day living. So this scene was really interesting to me for that reason. And, um... You know, it's kind of, it's comforting, not because I think that it um, validates wasting four hours of your life on TikTok. You know, ruining your sleep schedule because you're totally absorbed in TikTok or whatever. You know, I don't think that it validates um, that kind of behavior. But I do think it explains it because it tells me that that behavior of getting sucked into something that alleviates your boredom and stimulates your mind, it's just a human behavior. And I think we have a really bad habit these days of imbuing past generations with this like sense of nobility uh we think that they were like more patient more kind more engaged with the world around them they weren't as sad they had fewer worries they had a longer attention span and i you see that in things like cottagecore um where it's like the simple life, right? The simple, happy life where you don't have to worry about money or getting your heart broken or working a, a tough job, you know, feeling drained by work. It's like we we think of the, I mean, it's ridiculous because, of course, the pet. People in the past had it really fucking hard. Everything was difficult for them, you know. They had no conveniences. Whatever little conveniences they had were like... Still... They, today would be so difficult for us, you know. Um, And while there may be some validity to the idea that they had a longer attention span, that they were more connected with nature, uh, that they were, there was more sort of expectation of them to be honest and upstanding, I guess. I mean, I still think that we have those expectations, but, um, I really think it's just technologically different you know the only I think the only reason that 19th and 18th century people were and when I talk about these people I'm talking about mainly western people who had a lot of money I'm talking about people who could afford help in the house and could live a life of leisure because that's all when we think about the past that is all that any of us want to be you don't want to be working in the house, do you? You want to be a person of leisure, right? Um, So that's exclusively what I'm talking about. <laughs> Obviously, now I understand that with cottagecore, people sort of romanticize what it would be like to be the help, right? To be sort of living the simple life of like getting eggs from the hens in the morning and making bread every morning, right? uh so i i really think that people who lived a life of leisure in the 19th and 18th century they read they took walks they painted i think they did that because they didn't have anything better to do you know to get 10 miles away was like a journey because you had to go you're either walking or taking a horse and i'm a bit i'm a big advocate actually for going back to the horse and carriage as a main form of transportation for most people but it takes time to get there right the horse can only do so much um I don't think it's bad to have those hobbies to look back at our past and think well what did people in the past you used to do to pass the time can I take any inspiration for them of course take some inspiration from them you know it's not going to look like how you want it to look like, like reading and taking a walk and painting whatever, lots of other hobbies uh is gonna look different than it did at that time period, but absolutely those are great hobbies. Um I think what I mean is that the habit is for humans to find engaging ways to pass the time. In an effort to sort of disengage from the world around them. It's just technologically different. And yes, tech companies have found a way to capitalize off of this ingrained habit. And they are using it. You know, they've developed algorithms that abuse this habit. To the point where people feel... Really, uh, drained, right? We feel. I think what a lot of people feel when they express this kind of frustration with not having hobbies and stuff is that the algorithm is is using you as much as you are using it. Maybe even the algorithm is mo- using you more. Actually, it's draining you. And I'm I'm actually, like, not overly critical of social media use. But I can't, like, I can't deny that this is how people feel. People do feel this. They feel worn out by a reliance on something that really takes a lot more from them than it gives them which I talked about in the last episode, sort of what do you get back? What are you exchanging with the algorithm? Um, You're exchanging your energy, your time, your personal information with it, right? And you're not, you're getting things back. You are. You're getting entertainment and information back. And that's on the, good end of things you may also be getting um instigated and fed misinformation and um, you may be getting what's the radicalized right um i think that we tend to think of people in the past as being more critical thinkers And we tend to think of people now as lacking any basic common sense and not being critical thinkers. Because we're very influenced by, you know, what social media tends to tell us people are like. And it may be that uh, a YouTuber or somebody on the news is telling you social media is doing this or that to people. People don't think as much. They don't think for themselves. They they lack common sense. They're not critical thinkers. Uh, or you may see in comments, right? I mean, there's plenty of comments on the internet, <laughs> and an endless delu- deluge of comments, and a lot of them feel like really senseless things that were written in a moment of heated exchange. Um. And they don't feel like something that somebody from a past generation would have said, right? And I really think that's just, A, people didn't have the platform to show how stupid they are. (laughs) And I include myself in that. Uh, And I want to read a quote from... The Wizard of Oz, specifically from the Scarecrow. I don't know if this is in the book, actually, but it's certainly in the movie. And I'm sure that you have seen this posted as a very bad meme by, like, your aunt. You, <laughs> um, There's variations on how this quote actually starts, but let's go with, Well, some people without brains do an awful lot of talking, don't they? awful lot. Um, and I like that because it's a little bit of old wisdom, right? And it still is true today. And I would even argue, no basis for this, but <laughs> I would even argue that there's probably quotes in the Bible, probably from Psalms, that reflect that idea Um, I think that social media has revealed to us the truest, uh, aspects of, like, the the biggest flaws of being a human. It's not, and I guess, you know, that it's... (sighs) Changing it, you know, the argument, I guess, from people is that it's worsening our our worst flaws. And I can understand why it feels that way, because there's so much um, terrible news about how people treat each other. And oftentimes it's in order to gain fame on the Internet. You only need to look as far as Alex Jones to know that. To, you know, a disturbing level. Um. And I can't, I can't disagree with that. And, you know, I'm I'm sort of sitting here second guessing myself almost thinking, you know, am I saying anything that hasn't been said already? Um. Maybe I'm not, but I I guess I felt like I had to sort of work through that idea on my own. But I still kind of hold on to this um, hope, I guess. I'm not sure if that's the right word, but an idea that the Internet is... The Internet in the form that we know it as with iPad babies, whether they be... Gen X iPad babies, Boomer iPad babies, Gen Z, Alpha, whatever, all the various generations, all the cohorts of people who could be iPad babies. I still hold on to this belief that, you know, um, 20 years ago, when the internet was very much in its infancy, it was angel fire websites that would play music when you got onto them and had rotating, you know, uh, templates in the background. That's not that long of a time. 20 years is, is not a long time. And so let's say from, let's say 2000, we mark that as the sort of the true beginning of the infancy of the internet where More and more people were getting it in their houses. More and more people had access to it. More and more companies were creating websites because they understood, okay, this is how we're going to reach our customers better. Ten years after that, roughly, roughly, the iPhone was invented and, you know, changed how we interacted with the Internet. So here we are ten years later and... I kind of think optimistically, like people are already critical of how social media has influenced the world in a negative way, how people haven't a perhaps in many cases in some cases, maybe in your case an unhealthy dependence on social media and the internet. To the point where it's draining you of other things that you might want to do with your time. But you don't feel like you can because you're so locked into uh, using your phone. Just 10 years into that, give or take, we are aware of this. And we're critical of it. And people are making steps to... I think that's a coming trend in the next 10 years is people who, you know, not going to be engaging with social media in the same way that they have. It's already happening. I mean, you know, when Facebook was invented 10, 20 years ago, sorry, uh, not, uh, uh, you know, somewhere around there, let's say it was invented in 2004. <clears throat> right, we all know that. Um, So... Eighteen years ago, when it was created, uh, people had no concept of hiding, you know, it just was not the same. We just were not attempting the same kind of anonymity on the internet, right? And now, like kids who use the internet now, they're much more private, much more and I'm not saying that they don't, you know, younger people don't have an unhealthy reliance on social media. They don't know any other world without social media, which is really bizarre for me. That's just strange for me to think of, right? Um, But they are aware of the pitfalls. They They know it. They hear it from people. They're they hear it because of social media, you know. I really think that in the next 10 years, the next 10 years for this world are going to be <laughs> really something, really, truly something to behold. Um, you're going to see a lot of fluctuation in social media algorithm data phone usage things are gonna change and shift this is not a stagnant um entity (laughs) whatever it is you know the internet smartphones I'm, I'm not quite sure just our relationship to it all of it Is not stagnant. It's going to evolve. It is constantly evolving. Sometimes it feels like it's not. But it is. I mean think about how quickly. Um, Memes come and go. I've heard people talk about how. um, Fast fashion. Is this huge. Problem right now. In terms of creating more waste in the world. Because trends. Trends. You know, clothing trends used to take, like, let's say, a year to come in and out of style. A really hot, like, fad, you know. And now it's, like, a matter of months, weeks sometimes. So you have, you know, people kind of buying these quickly, cheaply made clothes that are not (laughs) cool to wear in a very short matter of time and for as many people that are engaging in those kind of fads and are not really um critical of that behavior in themselves there are so many people who are and are like working to raise um <laughs> raise awareness uh just to sort of enlighten people right It's just, there's so many, this is a multifaceted (laughs) experience that we're having. It's something that people in the 19th and 18th century couldn't even fathom. The radio to them would have been, the radio, the TV would have been mind-blowing for them. If you're not American, you probably don't know the story of the world, the War of the Worlds uh, radio broadcast. I'll read the wiki description really quickly. The War of the Worlds was a Halloween episode of the radio series The Mercury Theater on the Air, directed and narrated by Orson Welles as an adaptation of H.G. Wells's novel The War of the Worlds which was published in 1898. It was performed and broadcast live at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on October 30th, 1938. Um, The episode is famous for inciting a panic by convincing some members of the listening audience that a Martian invasion was taking place, though the scale of panic is disputed as the program had relatively few listeners. So a little bit of myth mixed in there. Um, because the way that it sort of gets told to me, at least people in my generation was like, it was like a, you know, widespread panic, you know, rioting and all that. But, um, <laughs> I mean, doesn't that go along with like the critical thinking, the common sense of people in 1938? I think of people in 1938 as being like very earnest, living through tough times, you know, uh, they're scra- scraping every scent they can together. They're making flour from like ars or not making flour, you know, making bread from like a mix of like cornstarch, flour, and arsenic. You know, it's just like the most tough times. They're sharing one scrambled egg with each other. Uh I think of them as having a lot of sense, you know, being very um critical thinkers and sensible and co- common sense, you know, and these, I mean, I guess, you know, however many people it was, got taken in by a radio program, you know, <laughs> and um, I don't necessarily know, you know, I, I didn't even get to sort of half of what I wanted to talk about (laughs) um I think I just I'm still like thinking through what the internet what role it plays in our lives and what role it will continue to play in Maybe it's like foolish of me to be optimistic in in some sense. I'm not optimistic that we're not going to use social media. I understand that it's here to stay. I understand. I, I think I really try to stay away from nihilism because it feels so terrible to fall into that pessimistic nihilism. It really does... I kind of think of humans as a race, as, you know, like, as a species. Like, always managing to climb out of the holes that we dig for ourselves. Um, I sort of think of that as, like, human behavior. Like, with wanting to... (laughs) entertain ourselves and, and make life more convenient and, um, but at the same time to stay connected to our, our nature maybe, uh, so I don't have a good way to end this (laughs) because I really went off script, uh, so I, I really don't have a good, a good way to land this plane. Um, if this was interesting to you, my email is in the description. I would love to hear your thoughts. You can follow me on, you can follow me on Instagram. That's also in the description. I'm not super active on there. Uh, I hope. That the weather is seasonable for where you are at the time of year. You're listening to this. And I hope that you find a time for a hobby today. Something not on your phone. Even for five minutes. Do something that you think somebody in the 19th century would have done. To pass the time. Um... Check back next month because I'm sure that's how long it's going to take me before I get another episode out. (laughs) And thank you for listening. Bye.